And welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined as always by my fellow hoops junkie friend, Andy Roth. This podcast brought to you as always by DraftKings and more from our sponsor in just a moment. Also on this podcast, we'll hear from Sarah Kustak, who's the current color commentator for the Brooklyn Nets on Yes Network. And she's a former player for the DePaul Lady Blue Demons. And uh, we're going to hear from Sarah upcoming in just a little bit. But Andy, uh, I know you had some thoughts in mind about certain teams, and I'm going to let you lead off. Go ahead. Well, uh, let's start off with your Bulls. Uh, I see they, they're going to lose their fifth best player for a little bit. With uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that that's what I'm going to throw at you. I think he's been their fifth best player. You know, Vucevic going into COVID protocol, but I think he's number five. What do you think of that statement? You know, I'm not going to disagree with you, although I'm, I'm curious. Well, I guess you have Caruso then in front of him. Right. Okay, That's correct. So, all right. Yeah. Vucevic, you know, let's talk about him just for a second. And and I know you watched the Nets game because that's in your backyard. And he was terrible in that game. He still, though, however, had a double-double for what it's worth. Um, you know, he, he got to double digits in points at the end of the game when he hit a couple of shots. He had 12 or 13 rebounds. You know, so, you know, technically, he, you know, he had a double-double, although he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean from the boat. So I know where you're coming from. And honestly, he's had a lot of shooting problems this whole season. And if you want to highlight it, I think we talked about this maybe even last time, when he goes against Joel Embiid, I mean, he's so intimidated seemingly, like a lot of other players are, that even with his three-point shot, Embiid has got those long arms and he comes out and he intimidates people that's why I still think he's the best center in all of basketball, but that's a conversation for another day. But I understand where you're coming from. You know, if you talk about the Bulls' top players, obviously Levine and DeRozan are one and two, two and one. Take your pick. Alonzo Ball, I want to talk about him in a second also. He's certainly, you know, probably number three maybe. Um, number four, uh, we talked about Caruso, and I'm spacing out who would be number – well, number five would be Vucevic. It would be Vucevic. Yeah. And, and don't forget – Vucevic also had a bad game against uh, uh, Gobert and the Jazz. So against high-level competition, he's come up short. And, you know, if you look at the basic numbers, I think it's 15 and 13 and a whole bunch of assists. It looks nice. But, you know, you've got to look at beyond the numbers and see the actual eye test, and he just doesn't pass it. No, I'm not going to disagree with you. You're 100% correct. Now, is he a better shooter than what he's been so far this season? The answer is yes. I mean, you can you can uh, besmirch him all you want if you want to. But overall, he's been a better shooter in his career. So I don't know what's going on there. I mean, he's missed a couple of layups that were like throwing buck, you know, the ball into bucket number one for Bozo Circus, and he hasn't been able to do that either at times. But he he's very he needs to be better because ultimately teams will figure out a way of double teaming either Levine or DeRozan, and I think it'll be more so Levine in the long run. And then ultimately you have to have another scoring option. And Ball is not a guaranteed scoring option. It's really interesting. I'm talking about Ball just for a second, Andy. You know, when I saw him in college, I thought he was such an incredible passer. And he can be. But so far this season, even though technically he's the lead point guard on this team, whenever, let's say, for instance, he gets a ball off the backboard and he's a good rebounder. He gives the ball up almost immediately to either DeRozan or Levine to bring the ball up the court, and then he goes off into the corner. So instead of being a lead point guard a lot of times, he's like a quasi-second you know, a shooting guard. And I don't really understand that philosophy. I think he's a better overall passer than what he's shown. 
Sometimes he leads the break. He's still not going to the basket enough for my taste, if you will. But, um, I mean, the other night he had seven threes. Seven threes, Andy. That's pretty damn good. Right, but that the point I've made in the past, he's more of a spot-up three-point shooter than the prototypical penetrating point guard. And, right. you know, with his size and bulk, you know, I think he would have success trying to get into the lane. I'm, and I'm yeah. shocked at this point that he hasn't done this in his career. I agree with you 100% on that, and I'm looking for that growth. And like, I, you know, we've talked about previous, he's got such a good assistant coach to, I think, steer him in that direction. And Maurice Cheeks, who was one of the all-timers getting into the lane. Um, so I, I hope that that becomes more a growth of his game. But for whatever reason, it's not. They're still winning. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of it is because of Levine and DeRozan. And Levine is still playing. That wrap on his left hand is still affecting his outside shot to a degree. To a degree. Because he's only shooting 32% from three. And last year he was over 40. Um, but, yeah, the Bulls have been a pretty good team. Now they're going to be get tested. Even if they had Vucevic. I mean, they got five tough games on the road on the West Coast swing. Starting with Golden State, who I want to talk about a little bit also. But when you take Vucevic out of the equation, and at least he's a presence in the middle, and especially from a rebounding position, and you already are without Patrick Williams, you have no size. And ultimately, as I have always said, it's a big man's game. I know there, there's other ways of winning, but when you take two of your cogs in the middle off the court, that's going to be really tough to win games. How much do you read into the back-to-back losses to the, a shorthanded Sixers team? Well, again, Embiid. They haven't beaten Embiid yet. He's 9-0 against the Bulls. He hasn't played every game against the Bulls because he's had his own injuries. But, he, you know, I, I go back to this one game he had last year where I think he had 48 and, and like 19, 48 points and 19 rebounds. He owns the Bulls. He owns a lot of teams, obviously. And, that's, and I keep saying I think he's the best bat, uh, center in all of basketball. He totally intimidates them. So, listen, a lot of times it's matchups, not only in boxing, but also in basketball. And, and the Bulls, because of him, they just don't match up. And I really think that come playoff time, you know, it's when Vucevic will get exposed because against high-level competition, as you see, you know, he comes up short. All right. Well, the other team, the Bulls right now, and we're recording this on Thursday night, the Bulls have, along with Washington, the best record in the East at 8-3, and three, I mean, Washington's another team like the Bulls who were not in the postseason last year. So what do you make out of them? Um, They've been a lot better defensively, and they've really reaped the benefits of the Russell Westbrook trade so far. Kuzma's been really good, 15-9. and He hit the game-winning three the other night. Uh, Montrez Harrell has been their best player. And for me, he's the sixth man of the year right now, not Tyler Hero. And they've done this despite the fact that Bradley Beal has been awful from the field, and Spencer did what he has just played okay. So – a good sign for Washington. All right, we're going to hear from Sarah Kustak in just a little bit here, but Brooklyn and I got to tell you a story about the game that the Bulls beat Brooklyn here the other day. Um, Brooklyn still has the best player on the planet, in my opinion. And for years and years and years, I thought it was LeBron. Giannis obviously won the MVP a couple of years in a row, but Kevin Durant to me is the best player on earth right now. He just is. Uh, and everybody who was involved with Brooklyn, including Sarah, and you'll hear from her in just a second here, um, said the thing. Here's what's really interesting. Even though the Bulls outscored uh, Brooklyn by 25 in the fourth quarter the other night to rally to win by 23, they were down by two going into the final quarter. When Durant came off the court, and I heard this, Andy, Durant came off the court at halftime, and he said, if they keep guarding me with these shorter players, 
I'm going to score at will. And he did. I yeah. think he had, he had 30, what, eight or nine in that game. I can't remember. You know, uh, ultimately the team let him down. You can't guard him with a guy who's six four, six five. That's just idiotic. Yeah, the reality is you can't guard him with anybody. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's the reality. But I was wondering, you had a courtside view. Yeah. Uh, James Harden has had his struggles. Yeah. Um, how was the eye test for you with Harden? Well, he's, uh, you know, I've watched him for years and years and years at Oklahoma City and, of course, down in Houston. And, and you listen, a lot of times I thought, especially in Houston, he was an absolute ball hog. But he's an incredible talent. I think he's still molding his way in and, and taking a little bit of a backseat, not completely, but a little bit of a backseat to Durant. Uh, you know, I think if he wants to, he could put up a triple-double almost anytime he wants. He could, he could put up threes anytime he wants. So I think he's tempering his game a little bit at this point. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about the absence of Kyrie Irving, how it affects this team, which obviously it does. Um, I was wondering, uh, you know, he's had trouble with the new officiating, but I thought, yeah. you know, the refs went to the extreme and maybe swallowed the whistle when they shouldn't have. What, did you see any instances of that? Where oh, he legitimately got fouled and they didn't call it. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Andy. I see that almost on a nightly basis. And like I said, like you said, I'm at courtside. So, I mean, they, there were some calls yesterday against Dallas that were completely asinine. Um, absence of calls, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I, and a lot of players around the NBA are already bitching about that, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a factor. I want to ask you about the Knicks. Um, the Knicks got off to a great start. Mm -hmm. I still think, obviously, they're going to be a playoff team. But it was really interesting yesterday. Tom Thibodeau yanked all his starters. And I've seen every trick in the book by Tom Thibodeau, by the way, you know, when he was coaching here. But he never put any of those starters back in the game. And I think ultimately Derrick Rose has got to be a starter. I, I just do. I know he's valuable off the bench, but he's the best point guard and the best option to score in a starting unit. So, you know, I'm wondering what you think. I believe, you know, whether he starts or comes off the bench, it's, it's not a big difference. I think it's just a matter of, you know, how many minutes he plays and how many Kemba plays. And again, you know, you've got to worry about Derek physically breaking down. You know, as far as the Knicks, you know, we had talked about it before the season. I didn't think the additions of Kemba and Fournier, you know, would move the needle in a big way. I thought it would hurt them defensively. Kemba, obviously a subpar defender. And Fournier, it's funny, I said to a friend of mine who, who's watched even more Nick games than me, I said, what do you think of Fournier's defense? He goes, he's a turnstile. <laughs> Yeah. So that's not good. Look, the big thing for the Knicks is Julius Randle has to show that last year wasn't a fluke and the young guys like Barrett and quickly and Toppin have to improve. And then they have to hope eventually, and I don't think it'll happen in the near future, they can land a franchise player. Yeah. Well, you're right. It's not going to happen. certainly this season. Um, all right. Before we get to uh, Sarah and then ultimately the Western conference, uh, Charlotte started out like a house on fire. They've come back down to earth, obviously. Milwaukee is basically floating right now at six and six. They're missing some key cogs. I mean, you can say what you want about uh, some of the players. I mean, Middleton hasn't played now, what, three, four, five games? Well, Lopez has been out and, and DiVincenzo hasn't returned. Once they get their full squad, they'll be fine. I mean, the team that, you know, we talked about last week, I said, could it be a surprise to make the playoffs? Uh, these young calves are really like. And yeah. You know, yeah. I can't say enough about Evan Mobley. Yeah. He's a stud to me. He's a future MVP. Yep. We knew he would be really good on defense, and he's contested more shots than any player in the league. But offensively, he's been a pleasant surprise. He hung 26 up on the Knicks of the Garden. Yeah. You know, I think he'll only get better. Jared Allen has been really good. 
The length of Allen and Mobley has really been tough on opposing offenses. And it looks like maybe Darius Garland will have a breakthrough season and be the player they thought he would be when they drafted him fourth overall. He's been a lot more composed and a lot more confident. They did take a hit with Sexton going down, but Rubio's played real well, and I really like what I see from them. All right, two last teams in the East. I mean, Boston has finally started to play uh, better. Uh, they blew a big lead. They blew a 19-point lead to the Bulls, and, and the Bulls beat them by 14, so that's a 33-point swing, obviously. And then there was some real uh, conflict apparently in the locker room after the game, but I guess they've smoothed it out and now they're playing better basketball and and Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta was supposed to be the up and coming team. And I still think they will be somewhere down the road, but they're having their own problems early in the season. And maybe facing a little of what the Knicks are facing this year, you know, Atlanta surprised teams last year. Now, uh, you know, when uh, they go on the road and playing, you know, upper echelon teams or, you know, for example, Golden State the other night, uh, Curry wanted to show uh, Trey Young a thing or two, and he hung 50 on him. So yeah. they've got to be ready now, you know, to get a, a full 100% uh, effort from the opposition. To his credit, I think Young had, what, you know, low 30s or something like that. But that pales in comparison when someone hangs 50 on you. Um, you know, so I'm sure, I'm sure Curry, who, by the way, is right now the far and away leader for MVP, but it's a long season to go. Curry probably said, hey, you're comparing this guy to me. I'll show you the real thing, not the facsimile. I don't know if you heard, but Candace Parker had sent out a tweet before the game predicting that <laughs> Curry was going to hang 50 on Trey Young and show the youngster a thing, and and he did. Well, sometimes, sometimes you got to have your finger on the pulse to know those things, and she was right on target. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's hear from Sarah Kustak. I had a chance, you know, when the Bulls were playing Brooklyn here the other day, and I've known Sarah for a long time. She's a longtime Chicagoan. She played for DePaul. Um, I, I've worked alongside with her for a long time. Anyway, before we got into talking about the Nets, Andy, you'll hear in this interview that I, initially I talked to her about her basketball prowess. Here's Sarah Kustak, color commentator on the Yes Network for the Brooklyn Nets. All right, Sarah, I, mean, I don't want you to be humble now. Yeah, Chicago's still your home, even though you're wooed uh, and wowed New York and the Big Apple, but this is still your home. I want you to talk a little bit about your basketball background, for starters. Take me back to your DePaul days. Don't be humble now. Tell me what that was like for you and your accomplishments. David, David, that's the hardest question. You can't tell me not to be humble when I'm talking about uh, the basketball background and playing at DePaul. What I will say is being in New York and being away from Chicago, a place that I still call home, um, watching what the DePaul women have done throughout the course of seasons after and just um, thinking about how many players and teammates, Allie Quigley being one now, a WNBA champion that I get to watch. It makes me so proud of that school, the program, the university, um, to have been a captain there, to have set, set a few three-point records, to have gone to the NCAA tournament multiple times. Uh, all of those things as a assistant coach under Doug Bruno to have been able to help be a part of a team that went to the Sweet 16. I think there's so many things about my collegiate career that I still think about today that helped me in my professional career um, and just the background and the study and the love of the game, the passion of the game. Um, but more than anything, I think it is so much of a family uh, in just watching how they continue to flourish, they continue to thrive. And, and I'm always the biggest fan uh, throughout the course of the season and in the postseasons when I watch, uh, watch the Blue Demons continue to go on their runs. 
I still I have spies in New York. I'm told that you can still shoot. <laughs> I try. I try. I don't move very well anymore. My 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 quickness is gone, but hopefully I I uh, won't lose the jump shot anytime soon. No, you won't. You'll have that forever. Um, let's talk about the Nets. I mean, obviously. They started well, a little on the slow side, but they're obviously picking up pace right now. Talk about this team in general. What do you see from them? I, I think, you know, it's a team that really early on was just looking to find their continuity. And it is a group that is headlined, of course, by Kevin Durant and James Harden, one that thought that they would have Kyrie Irving at this point. So adjustments needed to be made with him not with the team, uh, but so many other new players. Blake Griffin returned, Bruce Brown returned, Joe Harris returned, uh, but some of the others, like LaMarcus Aldridge, who only played a brief time with the team last year before retiring, and it's great to see him back on the floor again um, now that he is healthy. Uh, but so many of the others, I think it was about just getting the adjustment of how they play together, and it's a team that had a lot of offensive firepower. However, they struggle a little bit in that area. Um, now they're starting to click more, play with more fluidity. I think the one more surprising thing is just how well they play defensively. Uh, and a lot of that just comes down to a level of connectivity. And overall, I think for this group, um, they have their eyes set on what they want to accomplish in the big picture. So I think early on it's been just the experimentation of lineups, rotations, and, and now they've hit a pretty good stretch of, of starting to click and find those wins. You mentioned KD. I think he's the best player in the world right now. If not, he's number two or three. Take your pick. I mean, how much fun is it watching him? I don't think he's got any weaknesses because he does it on both ends of the court. What's it like watching him play? It is one of the greatest joys for a basketball purist, for someone who loves the game. It is one of the greatest joys um, that I've been able to experience through my career. And I've watched him, of course, throughout the course of him playing, and, and you understand just the extraordinary level of talent. But to see him up close on a day-in, day-out basis, it puts you in awe. Um, because of the size, the, the skill, and add to that the smarts and his understanding of the game. Um, and as you mentioned, you know that he can score at any place at any time against anyone. But to watch how he reads a defense and to watch how he thinks through a game, his facilitation ability, um, his multiple ways in which he can score, how he's been such a factor on the defensive end. I can do it in the open court, in the half court. He just, to me, he is the, the greatest player on the planet, and he's playing at such an extremely high level, especially coming back from that Achilles injury. And I think there was a lot of questions of just how long it would take or how he would look. And he was a supernova in the postseason, and he has just continued that right, right into this season. And, and his flourish, thrived, and I think playing some of the best basketball of his career. You mentioned Kyrie. I mean, it's the obvious question. It's not even the million-dollar question. It's the multi-million-dollar question. What is ultimately going to happen there? I mean, there, there's a lot of people want him to play, obviously. You know, he's sort of dead set seemingly in his feelings. Is it going to change? Is he going to play at all? That is, it, it, you would give me a million dollars at least if I had the answers to that question. I don't know. And I think, you know, it circles back to that is that is essentially up to Kyrie and his decision about you know, making himself eligible to play. And in that, I, I don't know if, I certainly don't know. I don't know what information the team has or the insight, but I do think that early on in the year, um, it was the decision made by the team and the group to say that they wanted someone who would be available at all times. And I think that just put a level of clarity of until Kyrie gets vaccin vaccinated or mandates change or, or something does change, that they had a level of clarity of who would be there on a day-in, day-out basis. And so 
um, for the team, knowing and, and they have all spoken you can to a man. Of course, they would love to have Kyrie um, playing with them, but they understand his position. They respect it, but also I think it's the idea of mutually respecting the same idea with the team. Um, you know, knowing that they need to make sure that they do what's best for the organization and for the team as a whole. Steve Nash is not a rookie coach anymore, but he's still a young coach, obviously. I mean, do, where do you see his growth? Where does he potentially need to grow even more as a, as a head coach nowadays? I, I have been so impressed at his growth. And I think early on, to think about being a rookie head coach in the circumstances of last year with COVID, with the pandemic, um, with the uniqueness of all the challenges being faced across the league by all teams, uh, but to that be your first year, uh, on top of it, a team with championship aspirations was a lot. And I think one of the biggest things that we saw early on that's continued is his ability to communicate, his ability to be clear in players understanding roles, his ability to resonate with all players top to bottom. He obviously a Hall of Fame point guard, so no question that he is a leader. But I think just the recognition of how to bring the best out of everyone. I think throughout the course of last season, especially in the postseason, the development of, of in-game circumstances, time and score, um, all of that type of stuff, I think by nature that grows. But now this season, I think we're seeing more of it. And whether it's, you know, just the adaption of, you know, with some of the new members of the coaching staff and what they're doing schematically on both ends of the floor, some, you know, out-of-bounds plays and inbounds plays and after timeouts and all, all that type of stuff, I think you continue to see just the level of execution um, grow and grow. And a lot of that comes down to personnel, but I think to even just the, the lineups and who he's running out in terms of combinations. Um, I, I think, you know, at this point, so much has, has been really impressive, but ultimately with coaches and, and with a group like this, I think a lot gets judged by the postseason. Um, but he has been tremendous to the players and tremendous for us to work with more than anything. Very important stuff. By yeah. the last part. For us. Yeah, for very, us it is. very jadedly said. Um, final question. I, we're only 10, 12%, whatever, into the NBA season. It seems you can't predict stuff already in this season. I mean, I take a look at some teams that should win easy on nights and they lose and vice versa. What do you make of this season so far? It's a long, long ways to go out. Yeah, I think with all things, you always, you know, early on in the season, there's so much anticipation, excitement. We want to see the new teams, the new guys, the new the new looks, and uh, I think we overextend maybe some of our some of our um, evaluations here, knowing that it is early, and it's a long season. A lot's going to change, and so it's been exciting. It's been fun to see, but I think uh, to really make any proclamations this early on teams or what's going to happen uh, is maybe uh, a little too soon. But I, I think it's been fun to watch all the new faces in different places and in for the league. Um, after going through the bubble season and after going through last year, I think now having a little bit more normalcy in this season uh, has been really good for teams. But now it, it comes down to how are these teams going to gel together? How are they going to continue to grow? Um, and health is always one of the biggest factors, and, and that certainly is going to be that way across the league and across the board. And Andy, one thing I know you're going to you're going to want to talk about some of the things that Sarah talked about. I know that, but I also. You know, and Sarah was never a prolific scorer, even during her college career. She only averaged seven points a game. However, and I know you can appreciate this, she was a good shooter from long distance, something that I know that is, you know, akin to you. She shot 39% from three, even though their line, I think, is a little bit closer in college than it is for the men. But she could shoot, and, I, and, my, and I'm told, and I think you know this, she still can. 
Hey, I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. She's in Brooklyn. I'm in Queens. Let, <laughs> let's make it happen. My, my best from the foul line is 76 in a row. Well, that's got me beat by probably about 70, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and, and, and I know you, you know, uh, listen, she, she confirmed that Kevin Durant is just the Marvel to watch, but she also said something that I knew that you would probably spark you even when she was talking to me where she thinks the world of Kevin, uh, Steve Nash rather. You know, and I'm sure that, you know, Nash is liked by the players and, you know, I don't expect Sarah to really criticize Nash, but I haven't been a fan since last year. I thought his rotations were terrible last year. This season, strangely, he had Bruce Brown on the bench who played an integral role last year, and he had Javon Carter in the starting lineup. But I said to myself, what has Javon Carter done in this league to play over Bruce Brown? Now, of course, Brown eventually in the starting lineup. And, you know, the other problem I have is Joe Harris is not a good basketball player. Joe Harris continues to start and play 30 minutes a game. And I've told you, these one-dimensional three-point specialists, they are liabilities. They are not assets. He's bad on defense. Obviously, doesn't create for himself, doesn't create for teammates, never gets to the foul line. And as a matter of fact, you know, people like Joe Harris are referred to as floor spacers, but the reality is, it's the defense that's paying attention to Harden and Durant and doubling up on them and leaving Harris wide open for three-point shots. Harris is not facilitating their games. It's the opposite. And for me, Harris not only should not be a starter, but at best, a limited role player. Well, you call them one-dimensional. I always call these guys one-trick ponies because they can only do one thing. And if you don't even do it well enough or consistent enough, what good is it? And unfortunately, when when the chips were most important in last year's postseason, he was terrible. He was terrible, Andy. And so, you know what? If you can't you know, even do the one thing that you're known to be good at, you're a liability. You're not even an asset at that point. Right. And, and, and by the way, you know, people remember last year's playoff uh, uh, performance against the Bucks, but it was the same in 2019 against the Sixers before, you know, Durant and Irving arrived. Harris had a terrible series. And again, you know, you've never seen a player like a Joe Harris or a Doug McDermott or a Kyle Korver, you know, have an impact on a championship caliber team. Yeah. The only thing, you know, and you're right about that. I, I can't think of any of them you know, the best three-point shooter, and he was more than that, was Ray Allen. I mean, Ray Allen, you know, had a big impact the year the Celtics won, you know, the championship. He was more than a three-point shooter. He oh, yeah. I mean, player. Ray in his younger days, you know, he would take you off the dribble and dunk on you. And plus, you know, Ray could play defense. It's one thing to value a three and D player, but Joe Harris is three and no D. <laughs> Am I right? We should make up a T-shirt. He's yeah, three and no D. Three and no D. All right, before we get to the Western Conference, a word from our sponsor. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they like the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, 
DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Andy, out west. The Golden State uh, Warriors, man, I, I, gotta, I just didn't think this team was going to jump off to a 10-1 start. How are they doing it? Uh, well, first of all, they, they've been the best defensive team in the league. There you go. Uh, they, I think they're number two in rebounding, and they've got a guy by the name of Steph Curry. But I think you do have to take the start with a little grain of salt. They've had the second easiest schedule. You know, they haven't played the likes of the Heat, uh, the Jazz, the Bucks, And, you know, one area where the uh, Warriors are deficient is in terms of size up front. So, you know, we'll see how they play against the upper echelon teams. But, you know, I've said to you this before, if Clay comes back and Clay is good, then they're a legitimate title contender. Yeah, Clay will come back. Uh, you know, I think those, the word, a matter of fact, I think I saw a story today, Christmas, you know, that might be still a little optimistic. But, hey, if he does, boy, I mean, if he's anything like what he was before the injury injuries, I should say, what a lift that will be already to a good team. And, you know, we're not even talking about, you know, the seven-foot center who I still have high hopes for and James Wiseman. You know, if, if he plays up to his capabilities, that gives you that size in the middle. You got yeah, to mesh, mesh it, but if they right, do. Right, right. And, and, you know, Wiseman, if Clay is good, Wiseman will benefit so much, you know, from Clay and Steph and Draymond, yep. you know, even as a rim roller. And, you know, it's my belief that eventually Clay will play at a high level this year because he does not rely on, you know, explosive athleticism. You know, that's never been his game. So I don't see why, you know, he shouldn't return to a high level. It's really amazing. And when you think about him and, and Steph, they shoot the ball completely differently than each other, but they both have quick releases on their shots, especially from distance. And, uh, you know, you talk about, yeah, he doesn't have that burst of speed, if you want to call it that, and he doesn't rely on it, but he's got that quick release and he can do it from distance. Now, again, I mean, he set the all-time record for threes in a game. It was right in front of my eyes at the United Center here in Chicago, and I was just utterly amazed, utterly amazed at, at what he did that night. And they have something else in common, the way they drive you crazy running you off screens. Uh, Jay Williams made a, a really good comment today about the Warriors, and it's true. You know, if you play a five-on-five five pickup game at the Y against a team that's cutting and screening all the time, what a pain in the ass. You hate playing against that. And people have to realize that also tires out the other team. Yeah. That's the way the game should be played on offense, the way Golden State plays it. And, uh, you know, Steve Kerr hasn't gotten enough credit because they had such elite talent during that championship run. Steve Kerr will always be, you know, both a coach and more so as a player because he was here during the Bulls championship days. One of my favorite people to deal with. Such a good guy, such a thoughtful person and wise beyond his years. So, you know, kudos to him. All right. Uh, elsewhere around the West. I mean, Utah's eight and three. They've been very, very good. They're always a bridesmaid, though, when it comes to the postseason. They just are. 
but they're a very good team. Now, the Bulls beat them also here. It played a really good game that day. They were without Mike Conley. That makes a big difference, obviously. Clarkson had a terrible game against the Bulls that day. Um, Ingles did as well. So, uh, you know, if we ever get to talking about six men, even though they were 1-2 last year, they're not. to me, they're not even in the equation so far this year. Utah's good. Phoenix, you know, after a stumble start, has gotten better. Uh, I saw Dallas here last night. The Bulls beat them too. Seems like the Bulls have beaten everybody that I'm talking about. But Dallas, and, and it's funny because every time I see certain players, they either play really well or they don't. Every time I've ever seen LaMarcus Aldridge, he's been unbelievably good. And he was in that Brooklyn game too. Every time I see Doncic, don't get me wrong, Andy, he's still probably a top five or six player in the NBA, maybe even better than that. But he never has that huge game against the Bulls, and he didn't yesterday either. And I just still don't like the fact um, that he pounds the ball too much. I don't think there's enough ball movement. I don't know what you saw in that game. And let's face it, they don't have a number two guy yet. And I don't even know – if they have a number three, I actually think Jalen Brunson might be their second best player. He's just very steady, uh, very smart, you know, very under control and, you know, should probably be seeing more minutes and maybe even start. Yeah, they might be, too, you know, uh, I like Jalen because I've, I've seen this kid play since he was in eighth grade. He, he lived right up the street from where I am right now. And I saw him in high school and he won a state championship, obviously, as well. Um, you're right. They don't have a number two guy. I think they thought Porzingis would be a two or a three option. And listen, he still has the advantage over almost everybody at seven, four. But if he's not hitting his shots, you know, and he's not close to the basket for easy tips or whatever, you know, he disappears in games. You saw them, you know, with the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, his offense just isn't versatile enough. It's it's simple as that. And, you know, he hasn't developed, you know, the lower and upper body strength to really be any sort of factor in the low post. So, you know, they've got to be, you know, really disappointed at the results they've gotten from that trade. Plus, I mean, he's owed so much money. My God. I mean, 30, I think he's owed over 30 million for the next three years. So it's not like they're going to be able to, you know, to dish him off to anybody. Uh, The Lakers playing without LeBron, you know, they've lost some games. They probably should have won. Uh, They beat Miami in a a good game last night. I'll give them that. Anthony Davis is still one of the top five players in, in the world also, but you know, if LeBron is not going to be there, they're not going to be they're not going to beat the top echelon teams until he gets back. No, no doubt about that. And they're not complete at all. They're missing uh, Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker. You know, fortunately, Carmelo has been real good for them. The funny thing about Carmelo, the home road splits are outrageous. I mean, prior to yesterday's game, he was shooting, I believe, about 70 from three at Staples and six percent on the road. So. But again, it comes down to if LeBron and AD play at a high level, they're title contenders, even maybe in spite of Westbrook, who I do think is a very bad fit. Although they uh, apparently, I guess they had, I don't want to call it a bitch out session with him, but apparently they got a hold of him and said, hey, you know what? All those turnovers that you're prone to make, you got to cut down on those. And he has the last couple of games. Um, he's not putting up the monster BS numbers like he did in the past, but at least the last couple of games, they've played some better basketball. But one thing that hasn't changed, you know, he's he's not a perimeter or a three-point threat anymore, and that uh, closes the floor for LeBron and AD. Yeah, yeah, ultimately that will be the case. Uh, Minnesota, they've been a disappointment, although Anthony Edwards, wow. Uh, he didn't win the Rookie of the Year last year, Andy, but you know what? I think he'll be the class of that class 
ultimately and down the Look, road. he's a major talent, and it's funny you bring up his name because is it possible already that the best player on Minnesota is Anthony Edwards and not Carl? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? That's bad news for Minnesota. I mean, Cat is, again, one of those players, has a lot of talent, but doesn't have the right areas of talent to really impact winning. Right. Um, you know, I don't see him on a daily basis. And, and until you see somebody on a daily basis, you're not really sure more so what their deficiencies are. I mean, you know, and I, case in point always will be Carlos Boozer for me. Obviously, an all-star with Utah, came to Chicago, is signed as a free agent, and he had such high hopes. And he played pretty good. He still averaged 20-plus points a game, but you saw his deficiencies. He didn't always hustle for that ball that was on the floor. His defense was matadorish, you know, like a matador, you know, or turnstile, whatever you want to call it. So until you see somebody on a daily basis, you don't see what their deficiencies are. And I think Towns does have some deficiencies. Too. But the biggest telltale sign is the win column. Yep. If you put Joel Embiid or uh, or Nikola Jokic on Minnesota, they're, they're not a non-playoff team. No different than, you know, as we've discussed, Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, and Evan Fournier in Orlando – the best they could do was 42 and 40. If Carl Anthony Towns was really a high, high level player, Minnesota would not be losing the way they've lost over the years. All right, real quickly, I want to go to the bottom of the standings in the West. Uh, Houston is 1 and 10. New Orleans is 1 and 11. I saw New Orleans. They're, they're the worst team in the NBA. Now, they got Zion Williamson, who's taking his time, by the way, of coming back. But ultimately, he will be. Um they're still not going to win many games because the rest of the roster is terrible. And apparently, um, oh gosh, I'm spacing David out. Griffin got yeah. into a right. a shouting match with Alvin his uh, former head coach, Alvin Gentry. Yeah. yeah. It's a mess in New Orleans. Let's face it. It's a mess. It's a mess. And, and I, you know, Alvin Gentry is one of the nicest guys. I can't imagine getting into it with him. Um, anyway, they're horrible. Houston's also horrible, but at least they have some building blocks. I mean, Green obviously is a building block, you know, goes without saying, and a few other players. But, you know, if you lose to teams like that, you gotta you got to question what the hell's wrong with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it, like you said, Houston, at least some building blocks. Christian Wood, I think, is a good player. Jalen Green has, has struggled, but he reminds me of Anthony Edwards with his struggles early on last year. But, you know, a super, super athlete. And, um, you know, there, there, there's at least some hope there. Okay, I want to ask you just about, uh, not so much about Sacramento. I still think this team's got a lot of talent. Although Halliburton's not playing as well this year as he did in, in his rookie season. I'm not really sure why. He's banged up now, too. Okay, then that must be the yeah. reason why. Uh, De'Aaron Fox can score at will almost. Buddy Heald is, is in the running for sixth man of the year. Um, oh, by the way, we will talk about some of these people for the awards on our other award-winning podcast, and that's Winning Ways, Andy and myself. So you might want to check that one out also. Um, but the last player I want to talk about on Sacramento, Marvin Bagley. I mean, Marvin Bagley apparently refused to go into the game. You know, he's been sitting collecting cobwebs on the bench now for about three weeks when they opted to sit his ass down. And then he decided, you know, Luke Walton said, okay, go into the game. It was a blowout situation. He said, no. And I sort of understand that. I mean, if you're made to be embarrassed by sitting on the bench all this time to ask to go into a game for, with 90 seconds left, you're not, you know, you might, your first instinct is to say, no, I'm not going in. What is going to happen out there, Andy? Um, my advice <laughs> going the game? Is, is King's management and Marvin Bagley should hire good divorce lawyers. Yeah, really? Yes. No, it's time to separate. 
But, uh, you know, and we've talked about this with Ben Simmons as well. How do you trade for somebody? I mean, I think Bagley, you know, he's still a young player. He was the number two draft pick a few years back. But how do you know what kind of player he's going to be going forward if you can't see him currently? I mean, don't you have to showcase somebody to trade him? Uh, in certain situations, <laughs> you know, you're stuck. And in this one, you know, they shot themselves in the foot when he didn't want to report. Unbelievable. I just don't, you know, the soap operas sometimes, I mean, listen, I, I was a reporter for a lot of Bulls teams that had soap operas, whether they're winning or losing. Um this one just doesn't make sense to me. Now, speaking of the Bulls, I mean, Marvin Bagley would be a good asset on the Bulls, to be honest with you. They're, right. You know, yeah, they need size and athleticism. Yeah. Patrick Williams is out for the season. The only thing is you're going to take his contract. I don't know what his contract status is. I'm sure it's for a long time and it's for a lot of money. No, I, I, I think he's still on the rookie contract, but I'm not sure. Okay. That I'm not positive. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if you know you're out from under within a year or so, then – I don't know, a team like the Bulls or maybe somebody of that ilk would be wise to at least talk to them. Unfortunately, in the Bulls situation, and we're going full circle now back to the Bulls, they, because of that Vucevic trade, Andy, and you you correctly pointed it out at the time, they gave up so much draft capital to get Vucevic, that's going to hurt them. So really what yes. you see from the Bulls right now, even though they've, they've taken leaps and bounds from where they were a year and a half ago, but this might be where they plateau because they don't have any draft capital. Yep. You don't give up that kind of draft capital for a player that's not a difference maker. Yeah, no you're doubt right. about it. By the way, one final question for you. You you know, we were talking about sixth man of the year. Wouldn't you say the narrative has been much more in Tyler Hero's favor because he plays for a high profile team? 100%. Yeah. Because, because if you look at the numbers, Really, you can make a clear-cut case for Montrez Harrell. Just wanted to throw that little tidbit in. Well, and like I said, the two guys that were one and two last year, Ingles and Clarkson, I mean, like I said, I only saw him the one game up close. Clarkson was horrible in that game. Um, Carmelo Anthony, I mean, right now what he's doing, you know, I mean, uh, especially playing alongside those other two guys, he'll get a lot of things. Buddy Heald out in uh, in Sacramento. Uh, and Hero, those, those those to me are your three choices as of right now. But here's the big difference with a guy like Harold compared to, let's say, a Carmelo. Harold's doing like 18 at 11. I mean, he's been a you know a major impact in uh, across many areas. And, and again, he's been the best player on Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always take a look at when it comes to certain awards, whether it's MVP or Most Improved or Six Man. <clears throat> what does somebody do at the end of games? Because the end of the games is winning time. And I think if you go back and take a look, even Clarkson last year, I mean, he impacted winning at the end of games. He took some of those shots. So, I mean, we're only three weeks into the season. There's a long ways to go. But those are the things I look for when it comes to who wins a certain award. All right. One final prediction on this award right now. Yes. Montrez Harrell and Tyler Hero will be finalists for the award. Okay. You can book, you can book it. And if you want to book anything, like I said, listen to our Winning Ways podcast because Andy has his finger on the pulse. How do you like that for a promo? And Tyler Hero at 25 to 1 before the season and Montrez Harrell at 55 to 1 a few weeks ago. Wow, 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 wow. And it's going down. So if you got it a few weeks ago, you know, and you end up winning, 
you can thank Andy for that. All right, Andy, that'll do it for this week. Uh, we, we should promo that we have hopefully some guests coming up in the near, near future. Uh, who do we have? I mean, hopefully we'll have Kenny Albert on one of these upcoming mm-hmm. weeks. I did an interview with George Blaha that will sneak in here sometime in the near future. George has been doing uh, the Pistons probably before Bob Lanier was even an infant. That's how far. No, I'm kidding. But he's been he's been with the Pistons for a long, long time. And when there's different broadcasters come through Chicago, if we can't get them on our podcast, I will try and do an interview much like I did with Sarah this one time. So, again, until next week, for Andy, I'm David, and we'll talk to you then.